Hi, this is Robin McCauley. You are tuned in and listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to the 453rd episode of Focus on Metal. And before we get into all things metal this week, I just got to say that, you know, 2020, great year for metal so far. Lots of great new releases. If you follow any of uh, the stuff we do on Twitter, I am always retweeting the uh, weekly synopsis that either Signal to Noise or uh, Mark Striegel does every week for all those new Friday releases. And there's been a great number of them. Every week there's something great coming out. But uh, it's also been a pretty uh, pretty shitty year for public health. So I just want to throw it out there. Make sure you guys are staying safe. We want to make sure that uh, all the metalheads make it through this, uh, this worldwide crisis. Uh, I don't know about where uh, you guys are at, but definitely around here. You know, going to the uh, going to the store today to grab some food and uh, just unbelievable, just everything, fresh vegetables, all that stuff. The shelves are just almost empty. It's just crazy. And school shutting down, all this stuff. And it's gotten to be the point where I just don't even want to touch a door to my building or anything. I've been kicking doors open and all that instead of touching things, washing hands like crazy. So I uh, encourage you guys out there as well. Like I said, keep yourself safe. Wash your hands all the time and uh, just kind of keep an ever-present mind about what you're touching and all that good stuff. Want to have you guys around listening to Focus on Metal for years to come. So with my little bit of uh, public service out of the way, why don't we get into this week's Focus on Metal. We have got two great returning guests this week on the show. And first up, we'll be uh, talking with Robin McCauley about everything he's up to, but in particular, we'll be diving in deep on the uh, debut release from Black Swan called Shake the World. And uh, after that, we'll have a, a discussion with another returning guest, that's Richie Kotzen, all about his latest solo effort. So I know we're uh, technically a little bit late to the party in uh, talking to Robin about Black Swan. Uh, they definitely had a very, very busy promo schedule, and we've actually been hanging on to this interview for uh, for about three weeks now as well, and it's always better if we could get Robin on. Richie and Robin kind of have a great, uh, you know, two Irish lads kind of thing when they get together, and uh, that's just always a great dynamic for the for the show. So we held out till we were able to uh, get a slot in with Robin, and then, of course, just everything kind of stacked up the last few weeks. So here we are, almost the end of March, and we're finally getting around to airing this uh, this great interview that Richie did with Robin McCauley. So if you don't know, back on February 14th, yeah, like I said, we're late to the party, uh, Frontiers put out the uh, first album from Black Swan called Shake the World. And Richie will get into it with Robin about, is this a band? Is this a project? All that good stuff. But Black Swan, it, uh, it consists, of course, obviously, Robin McCauley on vocals does a killer job on this album, but pretty much does a killer job on everything he does. The other uh, mighty Reb Beach on guitar and uh, Jeff Pilsen laying down the bass and then uh, finishing up the rhythm section is Matt Starr. And I can't say 100% for sure, but I think that Richie's been uh, playing this album nonstop since he got it. The other night when we went up to see Jeff Tate, 
He was uh, he played this one all the way up and all the way back. I know he's absolutely loving this release, and I would imagine that it hasn't left the CD player in uh, in his car at all. So with that, what do you say that uh, we hook up with uh, Richie and Robin McCauley talking all about Black Swan? Richie! Hey, Robin, how you doing? I am doing good, sir. I was trying to get that other person off the phone, and there you are. Launch you, my friend. Launch you, my dear friend. I'm good. I'm good. You're good. How are the interviews going? I'm sorry? How are the interviews going so far? Oh, my God. Uh, you know, we are bombarded. It's the... the uh, the, the the comments and the reaction is, is has taken everybody by surprise. It's it's really positive. People people seem to really dig this black swan shit. <laughs> <laughs> I I've had the record for about a week and I spoke to you late last year and I spoke to Jeff Pilson yeah. Jeff Pilson before right. then. And right. we both of you said to me that this is gonna take people a little bit by surprise that some of it is not what you'd expect, and I, I have to agree with both of you. It is—it's a little bit different. Yeah, well, you know, the Stuckers in a room—they wanted to do a project. Somebody was putting the tag of Supergroup. You know, you don't know me, but you know me. That is just not my wheelhouse. I have no time for that kind of bullshit. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's—it's it's to me at the end of the day is music, and when you put different people together is like the weather you put different elements together something different comes out and uh i can tell you richie in all the conversations that we've had nobody except for the fact that frontier said we, we want a classic rock record and we sat there and we looked at each other going huh classic rock record well uh sure <laughs> and um there's a funny side to the story because when we first got together and and, and red came to jeff's studio and they started hacking out some stuff. And so they sent me a track because we just were just all over the place. So we weren't all available at the same time. And so they sent me some music and uh, I wrote lyrics and a melody to it. I came back to Jeff's studio when I knew that Reb was going to be there. And it says, what do you got, dude? So I started singing it down and I hit the chorus and it was big disaster. And Reb stopped and he going, are you kidding me? He goes, this is our first project together, and you came in here with a title called Big Disaster. (laughs) 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 And I went, you're right, you know, and as it turns out, everybody loved it, and it became, you know, the second single that we dropped on YouTube. And uh, that kind of was the the blueprint for the writing from there on in. We just just did it, and and, uh, they'd send me some stuff. I'd come back to Jeff... uh, and I, I, we would do some pre-production, and this works, and that doesn't work, change that word here, and blah, blah, blah. And uh, we came out with uh, a pretty decent record. Um, Matt Starr comes in kind of ass backwards because all the writing was done to a, a drum machine that Jeff had programmed because, again, there were, you know, there were certain drummers earmarked. Um, as there was Jeff Pilson, he had earmarked certain bass players, and Reb and I went, "Yeah, that's never going to happen, dude. We want your playing bass, and that's all there's to it, you know." Uh-huh. And uh, because he just wanted to be the producer, and we went, "Sure, you can be the producer, but you're also playing bass <laughs> or else." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so the tracks were essentially written, and um, um, Frontiers had mentioned Matt. I had worked with Matt at Rock Vault. 
and I, I did a, 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 an event in Hollywood with him. And not a lot of people know, but Matt Starr is an awesome singer. I mean, that dude's got some serious lead vocal pipes on him. He, re he really does. So anyway, he got the track, came in with a ton of ideas. And as I said to Jeff, he, he brought... He brought the thunder out to Black Swan, you know, and it's, it's, it's just awesome. It's very fresh sounding. Um, a lot of people, getting back to where we started with this, um, a lot of people are surprised that it's kind of heavy in places. And then, you know, you get down to your usual sort of ballad thingy. Um, but it doesn't sound, dare I say it, it doesn't sound dated and it doesn't sound like you particularly heard it before while it still has that classic rock feel that where we all come from. But it's, it's cool. We love it. And uh, I hope everybody continues to like it. So that's as much as we can ask. So, you know. Mm. Now, I'm, I'm a big fan of your stuff. I'm a big fan of Reb stuff at Winger and, and now with Whitesnake. And I'm also a big fan of Jeff's. But when I listen to the music, I always say it sounds like your previous stuff a, a little bit and, and Reb right. stuff a little bit. And Jeff right. stuff a little bit, and it's kind of hard to put the finger on it. But especially, I, I think with, uh, with with Reb, his guitar tone on it is a little bit different than what I'm used to hearing from him. <laughs> yeah, we call it nasty. You know, it's not Winger, it's not White Snake, it's it's it's, it's Red Beach in White in Black Swan. I almost said White Swan. Um, <laughs> in Black Swan. It, it is. He has a nastiness edge to it. And and again, I wasn't. I don't think we particularly uh, were thinking about it too much. He just he wrote some killer solos on this record, and and he plays it in a killer fashion with with that nasty edge to it. And and I think people are going, oh my god, it's great to hear Red Beast play like this. And of course, Richie, when you think about you know my former other bands and Jeff and and there's got to be a got to be a hint of all of us in there or, or we'd be all lying to ourselves because we're going, how come he's so different on this record? You know, it's not the same guy. I mean, we are who we are and we brought what we are and who we are to the plate for Black Swan and so you get this uh, you get a, you get an Irish stew. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Robin, the one song that I'm going to say it, it must have been a compromise to the label. You can disagree with me or not. Is uh, right. make it there the ballad? I'm I'm thinking that the the, the label definitely wanted a song on the record in that vein. Um, I'll tell you the very God's honest truth. They never asked. Um, in actual fact, the first ballad that they got was Sacred Plate. And uh, when Serafino at the label heard it, he got hold of Jeff, and he said, "Oh my God, this is." This is incredible. If it was 1988, I'd be buying everybody a Ferrari because this is an amazing song. And I wrote back to him and I said, well, I guess we'll have to settle for a Ford Focus. <laughs> 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 you know? And, and um, um, then they, Jeff and, and, and Red had put this... Uh, they put this beautiful music together. I sat with it, and it came together fairly fast because I went, "Oh my God, I just, I just love the music on this." And I and I got to it, and I came back to Jeff uh, with the lyrics and melody, pretty much exactly like they are, um, to make it there. I was actually feeling 
I wasn't well. I had like a cold or something that I picked up in Vegas. And I said to Jeff, I don't know if I can sing this today. And he goes, well, see what you can do. We get up behind the mic and he goes, oh, dude, you should be sick on every song. This sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and we sent, we sent that to the label and uh, game over. And they, they immediately said, this is this. We, we knew what we were going to get was, was a mixture of all you guys. And we expected it to be good. And now this has raised the bar. We just absolutely love it. And they picked it as the uh, as the Val- the Valentine's Day uh, ballad thingy release, you know. So oh. yeah, it, it, and 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 I don't think I'm not sure you would have heard it, but on the Japanese version of the uh, release of the album, there is um, an acoustic version of Make It There, which is really cool. I mean, it is just really cool. Really mm. cool. So. Um, um, I'll see if I can get you a copy of that. You should hear that. Robin, when cool. when is the last time you wrote lyrics for a full studio record? Oh, dude. Um, a long time ago. That's what I'm thinking. Um, yeah, for an entire record a long time ago. Um, you know, I've written bits with Schenker and mm. written songs for, you know, Renaissance of Rock and, and, and all of that sort of stuff. But as a, as a complete album uh, that I was involved with uh, a, a long time ago, a long time. Uh, so it was, uh, that's an excellent question. It was kind of daunting, especially when towards the end, we were looking to write a track that was, you know, kind of kick ass in your face. And then they sent me, they sent me the music for uh, Shake the World with that awesome riff and intro. And, um, I make no bones about it. It scared the shit out of me. <laughs> and I went, oh my God, I could really, I could mess things up really badly here now if I don't this, do this right. I came back to Jeff and he heard the title and he goes, well, that's it then, isn't it? That's the title of the, of the album. The verses and the pre-choruses stayed pretty much the same and we changed uh, some of the lyrics on the chorus to make much more of a, an impact. And um, yeah. That's all she wrote, as they say. Hmm. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, you know, you know, you get down to it, and then you 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 do a little soul searching, and you hear the music. The music inspired me tremendously. It didn't, it didn't put a, you know, it didn't put. A, I'm never going to be able to do this thing all over it. In fact, um, if you have time for a quick story, I remember um, on Immortal Soul. Um, when I got that music, um, I sat down and I'm a, I'm a huge, uh, I love vampire movies, right? I'm a big vampire buff. So I started listening to the intro and I'm, I started smiling and I'm going, oh man, how did he do that? So I, I started hearing this, this kind of a wolf overtone in what he had played on guitar, right? And so I wrote all of these lyrics called Immortal Soul about, you know, the love of a vampire. And um, I came to Jeff and he goes, what do you got? And I went, dude, that is the coolest thing, that wolf sound. And he goes, what wolf sound? And he goes, how much coffee have you had before you came to the studio? And I went, oh, you didn't hear that? And he goes, where? So I, I'm playing and he goes, hmm, I suppose if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, um, I started laying down a vocal on that, and um, it pretty much stayed like it is. And he goes, oh, man, 
what else are you going to come up with? And I'm going, I don't know. Depends on what he plays because I'll hear it. I'll hear the, 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 the chord structure will tell me how the song should be. And that's kind of how I work, really. You know, I, I hear it in the, the something when, when he's playing the guitar parts. I hear something that, that's screaming at me and I go, oh, that's it. That's whether it is or not. It is to me. That's what I'm saying. It is. I hear it. Nobody else hears it. I hear it. And so um, that's kind of where I get my inspiration. But it's in the it's in the music, and the music was just. I think it's it's. I, I'm going to make the statement that, that I've done a few times already. It's the best best vocal sound I've had on any record, any recording I've ever done, and I think it's the best album I've ever had the pleasure of recording. Wow. wow. To, me, to me, it's that good. Yeah. By far, over anything else I've done in the past, and I've done some cool cool stuff, you know, in, in my opinion. Um, but this, by far, is, is my personal favorite. Now, so, there, you have it. there Rob, you have it. Robin, the last time we talked, we talked a little bit about microphones. Um, I'm, as, oh, I'm, yes. as, I'm assuming that Jeff let you use the mic you always use. Um. I had used different mics with Jeff before, but when I came in, he said, I want you to try the Neumann U- U67. And he said, a lot of people like it. It doesn't suit everybody. Let's give it a shot. And uh, I think after Big Disaster, I, th- I think Big Disaster was the first recording. And he goes, ah! He goes, we don't have to check anything else. That mic absolutely loves you, and you love it. He goes, we're done. This is the one for the, for the album. And it is, it's a very old mic, a very expensive mic, because the older ones usually are. And um, I told him, first chance I get, I'm stealing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first chance I get. Yeah. Because, but I know, yeah, know who has it, and I don't care. You'll never get it back. So. <laughs> now, now, Robin, I want to ask you about projects you've, you've been asked to do in the past, and you, you've told me before you've... You've turned some of them down. Um, would you be able to tell me with who, with who they were trying to pair you up with? Um, nobody in particular. Um, what they were trying to do, I mean, I know this label, Frontiers, for example, had approached me about 18 months prior to Jeff Wilson's phone call. And they wanted to put me with in-house writers and producers and they just wanted me to do a record and i think i told you i wasn't prepared to do just another just pack it out and throw it out there you know more of the same and and i don't want to do that when black swan came along and i discussed it with jeff i i told jeff exactly the same thing i don't want to make just just for the sake of it you know making a classic rock record or that something that we've done before and I don't think Black Swan is that. I think it's it's varied enough to stand alone. Um, um, you know, when we, two years or something ago, um, together with Howard Least and Jason Boylston and James Kotak, actually, uh, we did an M show under a band name called Brigade, which was an old band that Howard had back in Seattle. And because it was a Randy Rhodes tribute, uh, um, um, we um, we just we just did a bunch of cover tunes, and the next day people are calling and going, "This should be a project. Let's record a record." And we're going, "No, why would we just you know 
And people are very quick to jump and put you into a bag and, and all of that sort of stuff. Then I had a project called Bleed, which was very, very heavy. But we had Tony Franklin playing bass and Greg Missonette on drums. And we did sort of an EP, released it. And we're looking for a deal, per se, whatever the hell that is anymore. Um, and people kept coming to me going, yeah, dude, but I don't hear the big power ballad. So everybody that heard it went, this is cool, but it's not what we're used to hearing you do. And we want to hear more of what you do. And I'm going, but I want to do something different, you know? So I have a couple of opportunities right now, um, I will tell you, um, that I'm discussing. Um, but I have to get my own way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, 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 um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a record that I kind of have always wanted to make for a long time. And, um, you know, it just goes, it's a kind of a seventies, early, early faces kind of a feel. And I like that sort of sleazy, trashy, raw, powerful mandolins, acoustic guitars, fiddles heavy guitars and, and that sort of stuff um, where there's no restrictions. No, it has to be like this. It has to be like that. Um, and I'd like to do something like that. And of course, as I'm telling you, somebody will go, what a great idea. Let's do it. You know, and they'll take off and they'll do it long before me. So there you have it, but it won't be me singing. <laughs> mm. So, you know, if I have a, if I have a, an opportunity, Richie, that's, that's what my next move would be. But we do plan on, um, that said, we do plan on another Black Swan record. Um, and before you ask the question, will we ever tour? The plan is that we'd like to, provided all our crazy schedules uh, give us the opportunity to do that. You see that... And of course, I, I, you may know I'm heading, I'm heading to Japan with Schenker hmm. last, uh, on March 6th. So we'll be in Japan for a couple of three weeks. Um, that's already sold out. Then we hit the UK in April and uh, dates throughout the rest of Europe also in April. So um, busy for the next couple or three months. Mm. Sure. Robin, I, I nearly always ask these guys on Frontiers the tour question, but I always try and swing it in a different way. That um, People might want to see the band live, but if you're a promoter, you're going to want to yeah. book a band like this, and you're going to say, "I want Shanker songs, I want Dawkins songs, I want Winger songs." That it's hard uh, to be, it's hard to be your own entity now, and go no, out and play have, shows. You're right. You're right. Actually, Jeff Jeff Fulton um, Jeff Fulton answered that question yesterday also, um, and he said, "Yeah, it, it's quite likely that that would be the case, and that you know, Black Swan right now would only have." Um, a set worth, an album worth of material. So we would probably have to dive in and pick a Dawkins song and a White Snake song and a and an MSG song, um, just to uh, maybe a bit of big song, just to bolster up uh, the set, you know. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's not inconceivable that for the purpose of enough material for a show. Uh, that we would have to dig into the bag and uh, and break out. It'd be interesting because I think probably if if and I say if if there was a demand, and of course Richie, it's demand. Mm -hmm. If, if uh, I have producers, uh, um, promoters out of Europe already sending me emails, I have promoters here in the states, 
as do the rest of the guys, already sending us emails, personal emails, going, I have to, I have, to have this band. You, you guys have to show, and I want to be your promoter. Um, as we said yesterday on, 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 on the live feed, if, if there's a big enough demand, it makes the record company and us as an entity uh, look at it more seriously and go, okay, there's a demand, we could probably do X amount of shows. And then, of course, as Rev has said, um, it needs to be more than a couple of shows because there's a lot of work that goes into putting a show together. There's a lot of work goes into rehearsal time to put all of those songs together and make it stage ready. So we would not be talking about next month or the month after. We'd be talking, you know, six, seven months down the road, maybe. Um, and that said, you don't want you don't want the whole vibe to go too cold. And people go, oh, who cares? Next, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a fickle situation. Um, you can't answer in one sentence, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, we would have to do other songs. Yes, we would have to spend a lot of time. Yes, there would have to be enough of a demand to to logistically bring everybody together and make it make it work. Like any tour, for that matter. I mean, I travel, as does Graham Bonnet, we travel to Europe and Japan with Shankerfest, and, and we're all over the place. You know, Gary lives in Thailand. It's... Uh, it's not any easy. It's not an easy uh, caravan to put together. You know, we're yeah. all on the move. We're yeah. all on the move together in the same place at the same time. I mean, Gary and and, and Doogie are, are with Michael in in the UK right now, and they're rehearsing their set. I don't even get to rehearse till I go to Japan for shows in Japan. And Simon Phillips is coming with us this time. Um, Gary Sparks is coming with us, you know, that was an MSG bass player back in the UFO, the MSG days. And um, Ronnie Romero will also be guest vocaling with us in Japan and the UK. So put that little <laughs> together. Put Robin, that together. Robin, I got, I, got, I got two questions before I leave you go. One is a black yes. swan question, right? So I, I'm, in, I'm interviewing Kip Winger before he's gig oh, at Christmas. Hello, Kip. Yeah. And Kip... I'm talking to Kip about Black Swan, and of course, nobody knew the name of the band. And he says right. to me, oh, that's Black Swan. I came up with the name. <laughs> I did, you know. Yeah, is that true? I thought, it was Red, I thought it was Red Beach. No, Kip, so, told, um, Kip told me it was him. Well, maybe he was. I always thought it was Red. Um, well, if it's Kip, well done, Kip. <laughs> uh, we love the name. We love the name because we came up with a bunch of other names, and they were... As we would say in Ireland, they were shite. Shite. Pure shite. <laughs> yes. yes. And, and, here's, and here's the funny thing. Here's the funny thing. Um, they were already taken by other bands. So other bands have like pure shite names. <laughs> and then I, I, remember, I remember Rem coming back and he's going, how about Black Swan? And I said, well, there's a movie, there's a book, and blah, blah, blah. And then they we pitched it to, um, and maybe Kip, Maybe Kip actually told Rep. Um, but we pitched it to the to the label. The label loved it. And then they did the research and found that uh, it was up for grab. And so we got it. I think it's a great name. I think it absolutely suits the band, suits the music. I love the artwork. It's, it's, uh, it's just gorgeous. I got, I got the LP yesterday, the vinyl. Nice. And, uh, and I'm having um, 
I'm going to have a, a a canvas made for myself because I think it's just it's awesome. It is nice. Terrific. It is nice. Yeah, it's really good. Yes. Of course, people will say, how come it's a white swan? And I'm going, well, you know, black swan is the name of the band, not the name of the bird. <laughs> <laughs> so fi- 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 final question, Robin, but right? You couldn't, put a black swan, you couldn't put a black swan on a black T-shirt now, could you? No, <laughs> no. So final, yeah. final question. I was reading today that as of next year, if you're in the European Union and you're a musician playing in, in the UK, you have to apply for a visa. Yeah. Did you hear anything about that. that? I saw that this morning. I didn't get to read the whole uh, article, but I do know that there are certain, uh, a bunch of friends of mine uh, in the UK right now um, putting shows together, um, going against all of that because they're so pissed off with the whole thing. And I'm going, how is that ever going to work? Right? Mm-hmm. How is it ever going? You're going to get bands going, I-, I can't do this, you know? So I think there's going to be uproar you know i mean i don't know how that i mean does that mean does that mean that european musicians uh, that belong to the eu have to get a visa to play where in the state the uk the uk only yep because <laughs> well, you know the uk left the well, eu yeah I, they will have to just go and uh and I'm playing Ireland. Yahoo. Right? And yeah. we'll just jump across and jump across the pond to see them there. So um it that just that will bite them in the foot, you know. But I think it's gonna go the other way that the UK musicians are gonna have to get paperwork to play in the EU too. See, oh Lord. It's messy, isn't yeah, it? I don't, <laughs> I don't know how all of that thing's gonna play out, but uh yeah. You know, it's one of those things like Throw the dice up, see where they fall, and we'll fix it later. And uh, later might be too late, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know how many of the guys in in Shankar are living in in, uh, in Europe. I think Michael lives yeah, in England, know. doesn't he? Michael lives in Brighton. Um, Doogie, Chris lives in in, in Glasgow. Um, so there's three of them. Steve lives in in, in Hanover in Germany. Um, but you know, if Michael has Michael probably still has his German passport, so uh, technically speaking, he would avoid that. You know? Yeah. It's just going to be um, it's, going to, it's going to be a big mess, I think, if they don't sort yeah, it out. Doogie, 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 Doogie White and Chris Glenn will have to get Irish passports. <laughs> <laughs> People did that before, Robin. <laughs> no, I, I, listen, I, I read that there are over, and this is not an exact figure, but to date. I saw that there are over 200,000 uh, Northern Ireland people already in possession of their Irish passport, and the figure they said will will exceed hundreds of thousands. Wow! Wow! Yeah, because because that's the only way out of it is to is to relinquish your UK passport, get an Irish passport, and. Uh, and and start learning Gaelic. <laughs> yeah. Sha. <laughs> so, so, Robin, you're back doing Raiding the Rock Vault? I've been back for uh, going two, three weeks now already, and uh, we're at a new uh, we're at a new home in uh, at the Rio. And um, Hard Rock, uh, of course, is gone. It will become Virgin Hotels Las Vegas, and they have. Um, they have said that they would love to have Ready the Rock Vault back after all the refurbishes done. 
uh, which they expect around November of this year. Um, and we'll see how that pans out. So we're at the Rio 172 right now. Nice, nice. So, Robin, you got all the social... You got, you got all the five, nights. five nights a week. You got all the social media sites where people can get in touch with the, the band, are you? Um, there is a Black Swan site. Um, and on the Black Swan site, there's, uh, there are, of course, um, there are links to go directly to Frontiers Record to order the, the vinyl, the CD, the T-shirts. Although I'm hearing a lot of that sold out already, so they will have to go back to the drawing board and uh, start printing some more. Nice. That's where you can get all your information at Frontiers Music SRL uh, or go to the Black Swan um, site on Facebook and you'll get all of the links on there. Nice. All right, Robin. Well, I'm going, I'm going to leave you go. i got to get out to Vegas sometime. Do, do, do. You know, you have my number, so no excuses. I, I do, I do. All right, Robin, I'll leave you go. Have a good rest of the day. God bless, Richard. Great talking to you again. Always a pleasure. Say hi to the family for me. And don't forget, shake the world. Oh, yeah. Oh, your son sings backing vocals on the record, too. He does a great job. Yes, he sings uh, on about four or five songs. Yeah, he's got an amazing voice. Yeah, good stuff. All right, Robin. Have a good day. Thanks, Richie. All right, take Thank care. You. Bye-bye. Hopefully that answers all your questions all about Black Swan. Up next, we talk once again with guitarist Richie Kotzen about his uh, his latest solo release. I I don't know if you really call this a solo release or a solo epic because uh, the name of the new release is called 5450. And he talks all about it in the interview, but basically you're talking about uh, him releasing a 50-song album to celebrate his 50th birthday. And, uh, you know, the guy has done 22 solo albums to date, so uh, he definitely can do the output. And uh, just like the Black Swan album, yeah, we're a little bit late to the party on this one as well because Richie put this out on February 3rd. And I'll answer the first question you're probably going to have right off, which is how many discs for this thing? And it actually comes on uh, on three CDs. And looking online to see some of the reviews on this as well, it's actually getting reviewed quite favorably, which is uh, which is pretty cool because you got to figure, uh, you know, a fifty song album. There's going to be a lot of people out there who are going to be like, like, what the fuck, really, fifty songs? Like, I have to go through all this. But uh, super effort from Richie coming out with this thing, and it's it is a cool landmark to celebrate his birthday. So I'll have to give him that much. And the fact that he did actually get it released on his birthday as well. And I can't even imagine what kind of effort it took him to actually get this released on a Monday rather than uh, our unified Friday releases that we all have from everybody now. And he is going to be supporting this with a tour as well. And that tour is kicking off in uh, in June, June 18th, actually at uh, Richie and my, one of our favorite places, the Tupelo Music Hall, kicking it off in Derry, New Hampshire. But, uh, he's, you know, New York, he's going to hit... Uh, you know, New Bedford, Boston, pretty much a lot of East Coast stuff. And uh, then after that, in August, he goes over to uh, to Denmark and then also to uh, the Netherlands. And uh, he'll probably add some more dates on as that goes as well. But you can always go up to richiecotson.com and find out all of those tour dates. What you want to do when you get to that website, though, you look and you'll think, oh, it's a big blank white page. Just scroll down the page a bit and... Uh, the dates will be there. I'm not sure why the whole middle of the page is just white with uh, with nothing. Anyways, with all that uh, important information out of the way, why don't we get to more important information as Richie talks with Richie Kotzen all about 50 for 50. Is this Richie? It is. Is that Richie? Yeah. All right, Richie. We'll get into it then. 
Um, one of the questions I always ask all the guitar players, and I, I haven't had you on the show in a while, and I don't think I ever asked you this. How many guitars do you have in your house? You know, um, I have a number for you because I had to do inventory for the when we had the Woolsey fire come through, um, and I did an inventory. I have 87 stringed instruments in my house. Does that was that more than you thought? Yeah, it is because it well it includes like a banjo, um, two mandolins, and a couple of basses. But yeah, there's 87. Oh, and it doesn't it does not include my wife's uh, her bass guitars. Those so it's 89, almost 90. Wow, where, where do you keep them all? Do you have like a big room where you stock them all in? I have, um, well, there's some on stands in the living room. There are some in stands in my control room of my studio. And then I've got a, a long staircase, like six flights of stairs that go from the garage all the way up to the attic. It's almost like a turret type thing. Mm -hmm. And along that wall, if you go back that corridor and you start going up the stairs, they're all on the wall, so it looks like a miniature guitar center, and they're all hanging there. And then I have all the cases are stored in a room in my attic. I have all the cases up there. Nice. So uh, you, you're definitely a collector then? Well, you know what? i got to say I'm not a collector. What's happened is I have, all, I have almost all the guitars from when I was a kid. Now, I don't have all of them. There's about 10 that are missing. But over the years... Uh, I started getting guitars that would be sent to me um, by different companies from endorsements and what have you, and I, I didn't sell them. I, I have them, um, and so uh, there's actually there might be two or three from that from of those Ibanezes that I don't have, but I kept almost all of them, and so that's why uh, I have so many. Okay, have you ever gotten rid of a guitar and regretted doing it? Yes, I did, and I have a story about it. I had, when I was a kid, I had a Paul Reed Smith, and it was serial number 121, which means it's the 121st one they made. The first year they made it, 1985. And I had that when I was 15. And back in 1999 or 2001 or somewhere in that era, I sold it with a bunch of equipment that I thought I didn't want anymore. And I always regretted that guitar being gone. And last year, I found it and I bought it back from the guy who I sold it to. Wow. What condition was it in? It was great. Perfect condition. As a matter of fact, the guitar, when I was 15, it fell and there was a terrible ding in the net. And this gentleman who had the guitar had it fixed. And he fixed it to the point that I can't find where the where the mark used to be. It was such a good repair that I can't tell where where it was. Mm. Now, it must be great though when if, when you're doing a project like this, like fifty songs, to have that many instruments close at hand that you can pick any one of them up that'll give you an inspiration to write a song. Well, that's true, and yeah, that's right. And you can um, you have that flexibility to to. You know, if you want a 12, I have an electric 12 string if I want that. If I, you know, the only thing I don't have that I wish I did is I wish I had a baritone guitar. That would be a lot of fun. I, I think that's something I'd like to, to add to the collection. Hmm. Hmm. So, so how does it feel, Richie, turning 50? I'm 50 next year. And when I turned 40, it wasn't that big of a deal for me. But since I turned 40, I've, I've had two children. And... Um, 
when I'm 50 next year now, I think I'm going to feel a lot different about turning 50 than I did when I turned 40. Well, for me, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't make a difference. I mean, I could be 47, you know, 50. It didn't matter at all. I mean, it's just the only reason it matters because the number, you know, it's like half a century or whatever. So I figured, well, it'd be kind of neat to, to do something, you know, to tie it to, to my music. And so that's how the 50 for 50 album came to be. But at any other level, I'm fine getting old. I mean, it's, it's better than the alternative. Mm-hmm. Now, a 50-song record. Um, I The last artist I can think of at the top of my head that did something like that was Prince, I believe. He did a triple album sometime in the 90s. But other than that, I can't think of anyone who's brought out a 50-song record. Can you? No, and, um, and I think what makes this different than that is that this is 50 uh, new songs in the sense that there's there's no covers there's no live tracks. There's no remixes or remasters. Um, a lot of times when people do things like that, they would go and, um, you know, do like a 50-year anniversary record, but you're talking about grouping songs that have already been released, and maybe you've got four or five new ones on there. But as far as I know, I mean, I, look, I didn't do this to be the first, that's for sure. I, it was just something that crossed my mind because I had, recorded what would have been a normal record. I had 12 or 13 songs ready to go. And then I started going back into my archives and realizing I had all these great ideas. Well, I don't know if they're great, but I, I liked them. I have all these ideas that I want to finish. And then I started doing it, and I thought, well, gee, if I can get to 50, uh, maybe I could put out a record with 50 songs on my birthday. It might be kind of a fun, you know, a fun gag, a fun talking point, if you will. Because... Mm, it's a lot of music. Um, you, were you conscious when you were doing it of not repeating yourself? Because 50 songs is a lot. I think you're probably not expecting anybody to sit down and listen to 50 songs in one go. No, and that's one of the things that I said. Um, I, I was like, uh, I thought to myself, how is someone going to review this thing? Um, you know, how do you review a 50-song record objectively? Uh so, um, but you know, the only thing that I thought about real, as far as like what was important to me is that the song individually, each song, when it was done, do I love it? And does it represent something that I, that, that excites me? And, and is it something that represents me personally, emotionally, mentally? And if the answer was yes, it went on the record. So the, the reality is if I would have only had, you know, 47 songs that I liked, then I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have put something on just to fill it out. So, you know, I, I, I really was aware of making sure that if I put something on there, you know, it was something that I thought made sense to be there. Mm. What about the running order on it? Uh, could, could you pay much attention to that, that you wanted the, the peaks and valleys, you wanted the whole thing to ebb and flow? Yeah, that kind of made me a little crazy, I have to be honest. That was the most difficult thing. You know, that and approving the masters when they mastered it. But uh, the uh, sequencing was really tricky because I had to, you know, fit things on there. There was always a map equation. You have songs, some are four minutes, some are seven minutes, and you got to deal with that. Um, at one point, I thought, forget it. I can't sequence this. It's too, it's too, too much. And then I, I then I just kind of started moving some things around and, I thought, well, I know what I want to open with. I know what I want to close with. 
And, you know, somehow it came together. You know, I think I put it out of my mind because it was such a task to do. But um, in the end, I, I, I like the sequence. I think it, it makes a lot of sense for what it is that I've done. Mm. Did anyone say that the whole concept of doing a 50-song album was crazy in this day and age? Well, you know, the first person I told was my tour manager because we were on the road. Mm-hmm. And he was excited. He got very excited about it. He thought that was really a, a great thing to try to do. Um, you know, then some, one of my friends was like, he didn't understand it. He was like, well, I don't know why you would do that. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, why not just, you know, finish the songs but hold on to them and then each year put a record out. And so I'm like, well, that that's not the idea. I mean, look, the point of the matter is part of why I think I, I, I did this really not to sound creepy, but it was the element of mortality. I mean, I, I have all this stuff sitting there. I, I don't want to, like, be gone and then I leave like someone gets a hold of my computer <laughs> yeah and then there's all these unfinished songs and who knows what's going to happen then uh so i mean that was definitely an element in my mind like you know i want to finish this music and i just want to get it out and i want it to exist and i want to get it off of my hard drive and erase it and just put it up on the internet and forget about it so um that that was you know part of it as well uh, and then, obviously, I mean, it's, it's what we're talking about. It's 50 for 50, you know, whatever. Like it or not, you know, I, I made a record that has a lot of music on it. Hmm. it. Now, how are you going to approach this live? Because you, you have a set amount of time to play a set. Um, are you going to work up, like, twice as much songs that's in the set and maybe change it around a lot? What's your thinking well, on I that? I did the math, and if we double the tempos, we can get through the whole record. (laughs) 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 No, no, I mean, really, honestly, to be honest, like, I've said this before, like, when I see my favorite band, I want to hear songs that that, that I'm I'm familiar with, that I grew up with, that I love. So for me, I know there's certain songs that I do that people, you know, want to hear, and I like playing them. So we're going to do those songs. As far as the new record, you know, we're going to work in some things that, that translate well with the power trio, because that's what I have. Uh, I got, you know, we, we are three guys. So, you know, songs like Devil's Hand, we played that last week on a show, on a show and that came out cool. Uh, Dogs, I want to do that one, because I think it'll translate uh, the opening track, Stick the Knife, I want to play. And then who knows from there, you know, we'll sprinkle a few in. But it's gonna, It's not going to be a tour where I play only this record. I don't. I don't know that that would be super appealing to everyone. So, uh, but we definitely will. will play uh, some material from the new record. Yeah. Now, some of the ideas on this. How how far how far back are we talking? Are we talking like the Winery Dogs era, or are we going back oh, to Mister Big? Way way beyond. I mean, we're talking about. There's a song on there called. Uh, more than this that um is got to be late 90s uh and there's another one called already scarred that's probably around the same time it's got to be late 90s maybe 2000 um there's a song play the field which was done back in 2001 wide open was done in 2001 um then you know there's songs like uh, When God Made You that was partially recorded in a hotel room in Peru. And then I brought it home and finished it uh, just, you know, a few months before the record was released. And then there's songs like Black Market, Innocuous, and a few others that are literally brand new that just came out. 
you know, out of nowhere at the very end of the recording process, Warrior. That's another song that was one of the newest ones that, you know, I was probably 42 songs into the record and suddenly I wrote Warrior. Um, so it's just kind of snowballed when I started getting in there working on everything. Huh. Richie, do you get writer's block? No, I don't believe in writer's block. And let me explain why. Um, I take long breaks uh, from what I do. Now, it seems like on the outside that I'm always working and doing something. But the fact is, is that I have long periods of time where I don't even look at the guitar. And so my theory on this you know, I go in to, if I go in the studio and I'm working on something and I hit a block, like, you know, you would know, say, oh man, I got a writer's block. I can't write anything. Well, to me, I stop and I walk away and I think, well, nothing is meant to be written at this time because I know what it feels like when I write something that needs to be written. And it happens very quickly, like the song Innocuous. That came together very quickly. Uh, Warrior, it happened very fast. The Black Mark literally came together very quick. Those songs don't. The, the song Mountains, I had the concept for that song for the longest time. And then one day I went in the studio and wow, bang, I was able to finish it. So um, I don't subscribe to the theory of writer's block whatsoever. I think when you're inspired, you write. And when you're dry and you have nothing, it means you need to do something else and go you know, go on a trip, climb, uh, go up the mountain somewhere, uh, go for, go fishing, go for a swim, do something else. And then, you know, eventually it'll come back. Uh, hmm. That's been my pattern, at least. Hmm. That's probably okay for if you're doing a regular album, but when you're trying to do 50 songs, um, there's more pressure on you to do, do this than there is probably on a normal record, though. Well, see, no, and here's why. Because what I did was... I didn't really tell anyone, and I didn't commit to it. I, I just figured, hey, if this happens, that would be pretty cool. I'm going to make an effort to see if it can happen. But the reality is, is if I would have gotten to you know January 3rd, uh, a month before my birthday, and I only had 32 songs recorded that I liked, there would be no 50 for 50, and you know no one would know about it. I didn't even announce it publicly until I knew I was going to hit my mark. So that's the thing. I, I don't, I don't want to have to work. I don't want to have to put art under pressure. I, I don't really dig that feeling, at least with music. I don't, you know, I've, I've been in that scenario before and I end up with shit that I don't like. So, mm. you know, I, I think that, I think the reason this worked is that I didn't have any pressure. I mean, I, I, I put pressure on myself in the sense that, hey, you know, I'm going to wake up and go down to the studio today and see how I feel <laughs> um, and hope that it's there and hope that I uh, have the desire to work. But had I not gotten to 50 songs, you know, the world ain't going to stop. So that's kind of my attitude. Yeah. Now, now, Richie, what comes first for you? Is it always the music and then the lyrics or is it a combination? It's always different, but I'll tell you, for me, the lyric and the melody are the most important thing. I mean, that's the fucking song right there. And I don't care what anybody says. When you sing Happy Birthday, you're not singing the drum beat. You're singing the fucking melody <laughs> and the lyric. So, um, for me, uh, that is the song. That doesn't mean that every song I write starts there. Because some songs, 
you know, start with a bass line, like the song Dirty Tricks is a great example. I had that guitar riff, and, and then I heard that drum beat, and, I, and then the bass came. And that was a song I've had that on the drive, or the hard drive for a long time. And, and it was just this kind of funky thing. Most of the song originally was a keyboard solo that I had thrown down in, in the style of Bernie Worrell, like the Parliament Funkadelic vibe. But I knew it could be a song. And so I just messed around with that for years, you know. And so someone would have said, oh, I have writer's block, but I, I just didn't have the ideas for it. And then one day I wrote that, uh, the, the, the lyric, I came up with the title, and then it all came together. So um, you know, it, it's, it's always dip, but in the end, with the kind of music I do, it's really the lyric and the, and the, and the melody. That, that is the song. Mm. So, so if I was to go back, Richie, and ask a younger you, maybe in your 20s or 30s, where you, where you saw your career at 50? Would you, would you have envisioned where you are now? Well, you know, it's a really tricky question because when I was 21, I got signed, no, I was 20, actually, 19 or 20. I was on an indie label and I got signed to a major label, which was at the time, Ted Field started a label called Interscope along with Jimmy Iovine. And the guy that was the head of A&R was a guy named Tom Wiley, who went on to be the president of Warner Brothers Music. He came to my house in Pennsylvania, and, and he wanted me to be one of the first people on Interscope Records, which I was. And they signed me. And so at that point in time, you know, I was hanging out at Jimmy Iovine's house, and he'd have, uh, I remember being there, and Bruce Springsteen was playing football in the front yard, and you know, I was at the top of the food chain as far as being inside the industry was. So in my mind, based on what people were saying and how things were going, I figured at 50, I would have been sting, you know, at, at that level. And that's really what I thought. And then that kind of went sideways. And uh, shortly after that, I re-signed a deal with Geffen and I signed a Warner Brothers publishing deal, which was, you know, I was basically 24 years old and pretty much a millionaire without having to, you know, sell any records. Hmm. And, uh, and I thought again, well, by the time I'm 50, I'm going to be, you know, at that level of all those other big guys. And then things went sideways, you know, uh, the record didn't go how they predicted. They didn't push it. And, and, you know, I was kind of, uh, thrown under the bus a little bit under the industry bus, so to speak. And then things changed, you know, um, uh, style of music that they wanted to put on the radio was different. And so uh, basically, uh, you know, having gone through all that I've gone through since then, the ups and downs, uh, I am very happy that at this stage of the game, I have a career because I have a lot of friends that are very talented that aren't doing what I'm doing. So, um, you know, it could always, you can look at it half full or half empty, but I, I feel like, I've been very fortunate that I've been able to sustain myself since then through the the business, and um, and so I'm satisfied where I'm at. I, it, you know, when I was 20, 21, to answer your question, no, I didn't think I would be where I am now. I, I thought I would be much much better off, but I'm not bad. You know, I'm not complaining. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, Richie, do you want to give out all the social media sites where people can get in touch with you or, or buy the record? Yeah, sure. Now the record, um, I think Amazon is pretty much the biggest place for, you know, hard copy, you know, for people that like the physical product. 
you know, you got your Amazon. Um, CD Baby is uh, the place that uh, you can also get the hard copies from. There's many places, but you know, between CD Baby and Amazon is where you can get the hard copy. And then for your downloads or your streaming, you know, um, that's up to you. I mean, Spotify seems to be uh, the place that a lot of people go. Um, I know I'm getting a lot of spins there, which is really nice. And uh, your Apple Music is going to be there. All the places, you know, where they where they service the uh, digital music, it's just showing up there. So, and then for for me personally to keep up on what I'm doing, um, I'm most active on on uh, Instagram. So you just put my name, Richie. I believe it's Richie underscore Cotson, and it's the one with the blue check mark, so you know I'm verified. Uh, so you'll see if you look on there, you'll see right now I'm in the Caribbean. I posted a few things, but. I'll be back in LA soon. Hmm. Um, so yeah, my Instagram. Then I have a Facebook. You know, there's a YouTube, YouTube channel. It's all out there. You know, you're, the you're, internet. You're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so Richie, you're you're going to be playing a show up near me, I think, in June in the Tupelo Music Hall in Derry, New Hampshire. So hopefully, I'll be able to go and get backstage and say hello to you. Absolutely, that'd be great. Yeah. All right, Richie. Well, listen, I really appreciate you calling me. <laughs> yeah, all right. All right. Thanks, have a good rest of the day. All right. All right thanks. Bye. Bye. There you go. Everything you wanted to know about 5450 and a little funny story about that as well. And Richie was laughing about it when he told me. And it's kind of why the interview even starts off odd is uh, for the first time ever, he actually had lost Richie Cotson's phone number. So here he is coming up to interview time. And like I said, he doesn't have the phone number. It's like, oh, crap. And remarkably while he's sitting there trying to figure out what to do because he can't get a hold of the publisher or anything else like that that's when uh, Richie Kotzen actually calls him and uh and all is good but uh, it just it's weird that it worked out that way that uh that uh, Richie had Richie's number when Richie didn't have Richie's number so it all works out but like I said we had a good laugh about that the other night when uh, Richie was down here in the studio and uh, again he, he never did that he's like it's never happened to me before but uh you know as you're doing this thing and you get in more and more years, there's always shit that's going to happen. So that is it for this week. Big thanks to Robin McCauley for coming on the show for the billionth time. Always great to have Robin on. And uh, just, you know, like I said, two Irish lads shooting the shit. It, uh, it always makes for good radio. And, of course, big thanks for Richie Cotson for also coming back on the show once again. And talking all about his uh, new solo epic, uh, latest one since his last one back in 2017. And definitely support the artist. Go out there and pick up these two releases. And uh, let's keep metal moving forward. But uh, next week, uh, not sure. we got a couple things. You know the story. We're just trying to figure out what it is we're going to do. And uh, there might be a few other things that drop in between now and then. And we'll have to make a decision as we go. So not really sure 100% what is happening next week, except that there will definitely be a next week. But uh, for this week, anyways, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is indeed well and done. So uh, for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And as I said before, wash your hands like crazy. Be safe out there. And uh, until we talk to you again next week, as always, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant.
It's over. Go home.